everybody to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and ghost historian Mike Ricksecker. With me as always is my co-hostess Vanessa Hogel and down in the chat room our chat moderator Quarantine Ghost moderating the chat. <laughs> we have a fantastic show coming up for you tonight. Justin Brown is back in the house. Uh, he's has a brand new documentary out there on haunted Hartford city. It's an extremely haunted town out in Indiana. I've had the pleasure of investigating out there before. Uh, Justin's work is absolutely fantastic. Of course, we've had him on here before talking about equipment, which he's very, very knowledgeable, very, very knowledgeable about. Uh, but we're going to be diving into this documentary, these haunted locations, this paranormal investigations. Justin, welcome to the show unmute thank you it's it's awesome <laughs> i have to unmute because i have a gaming keyboard that clicks like it's not cool so thanks i'm glad to be on here i know that you know you have to push me you had to fit me in after you know a couple months after i asked but i'm glad to be here and i'm ready to answer your questions awesome well let's get yeah let's get into it um so the documentary is uh, Haunted Hartford City. It's out there in, uh, I guess, it's the eastern side of Indiana. Um, people may recognize the house, uh, the Monroe House, but there's actually several locations here that are very haunted, and you had the opportunity to, ex uh, to explore and investigate several of these. So you want to kind of give us a brief rundown, then maybe we can hit, like, each location individually? Yeah, to, can, to give you an understanding of my... Uh familiarity and access to these locations. I pretty much had the keys to the paranormal for haunted or for Hartford city for two years. And the locations I had were Monroe house, the old Blackford County jail, both Dan Allen's um, locations, which in um, the jail and the Irvin Campbell speakeasy building. And uh, Brandy reader got me into the uh, Griffin's blind tiger, which was formerly uh Centerfield bar, which was other, things that you will hear about in the documentary if you watch but it all came to be because we were looking into locations in indiana and we saw a few of our uh peers out there you know doing investigations at the jail the old blackford county jail which is owned by dan allen and we went up there told him that we want to do an episode for a YouTube series. He's like, yeah, great. We, I love that. So come on over. Um, we did the investigation. We real, we tried to do a commercial film just about the jail. And there was a few things that actually stopped that from happening. We got it to Blu-ray. We got it on our website and then we had to take it down because of legal matters with former members, but we still had the footage without the stuff that was making it, um, uh, a, a question of privacy, a legal illegality there. So we got that and we got the Irvin Campbell speakeasy. Um, and then we wanted to uh, do the Monroe house. It's only a block away from the jail. This is a very small town. The locations we investigated are within one to two city blocks of each other. So we wanted to do a documentary. We did these um, locations individually that we release videos of individually, but what I wanted, I had a vision for a documentary that encompassed the whole town and pretty much showcased the four locations that I had access to for two years. So I had all this footage, all these connections. They gave this stuff to me free of charge. They did not charge me to come in and do these things. They gave, they gave it to me just to say, Hey, do what you do. And 
I was fortunate enough to have that opportunity because they believed in the work we were doing. They knew that we would not only um, shed light on the history um, and not let the, um, the, the creepy paranormal claims overshadow the tremendous history and heritage of the place, but do it in a way that was integral and classy and cool. So I was like, yay, I get to do this. And uh, not everybody gets to, but I, I pretty much took all this footage from all these investigations and turn them into a documentary that you will see on the website. If you go and rent it, um, um, Mike and Vanessa has saw it so they can kind of do a proper interview on it so they can ask me questions. I'm glad that they did because I'm like, Oh, I forgot to send a link. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. How can people find this documentary? Interfacedeath.net is our website. Go to the homepage. The link is there. It'll direct you to the videos tab. If you want to rent it, you just go to the Interface Death Watch channel at the top of inter- um, the videos page. You click on it. You have to sign in. I'm sorry, Wix makes you do this. You have to sign in, and then you can have the option to either purchase it, uh, purchase a download, and watch it unlimited times on the website, or you can just rent it for three days for five bucks. Or you can get a Blu-ray which is like 20 bucks. And if, if you're watching during the show, I will make a discount code for everybody watching this to get five bucks off of that. If they want. Um, I, I want to start out here. Uh, first, I have to touch on something um, that I think is really important for any investigators, filmers, people that are going into this that want to do this at a, at a later date. You talked about not being able to, to do certain things due to former team members. Again, this is one of the things that you and I were talking about before the show, documentation, documentation, documentation. Um, Whomever is the team leader, everybody under them has to sign off. That way, if they ever leave, you you can still sell it. You can still do that. That is really important, and I I don't think that people think about that because they're like, oh, that's my buddy. We're good. We're like this. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> okay. Nope. That doesn't work that way. So that disclaimer is out. But I got a teeny tiny bone to pick. Okay. I figured. <laughs> I do. The Monroe House. Okay. Um, not all witchcraft is bad. And that was the only thing that when you're talking about the Monroe house and things that it, that have happened there when we when we throw in witchcraft i i wish that there had been some separation of between the negative and the positive because that is the only thing that really bothers me is because i feel like people say the word witchcraft witchcraft associated with a place like that and then all of a sudden we're all evil demon worshipers yeah i totally understand that i think that when you go in and do an investigation of these locations that a lot of those type of things like witchcraft and any type of esoteric beliefs or religions way of life will get like like a paranormal or like a, an umbrella term, like witchcraft's uh-huh. an umbrella term. And it was, and it's kind of like you said, there was witchcraft performed to this house. So, you know, you, you, a lot of people would tend to believe that they were doing dark things associated with the witchcraft. Uh-huh. Um, I don't always think of doing disclaimers like that 
in in documentaries, but there are people going to say, well, not all witchcraft is bad and not mm-hmm. all witchcraft causes demon houses. <laughs> but um, what I think happened was it kind of got thrown into the uh, salad of paranormal claims and the location was just one thing to add to is does this have anything to do with what's going on that people are experiencing that the owner experienced that other investigator experienced does it have anything to do with the haunting and uh according to my mother hundreds of other maybe thousands of other people maybe and probably but the kind of witchcraft performed there was not elaborated on so i don't know more than likely, it was neo-Wiccan, prepubescent, or teenagers or young adults that were pissed off at life and decided that they wanted to claim themselves to be a witch. And let's face it, let's face it, let's just go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. Nine times out of ten, when you go into any one of these locations and they have a pentagram or an upside pentagram painted on the wall or something, not that the Monroe House did, but or something like that, and people talk about rituals were done there. No, bored teenagers were done there. That That is not a true depiction. Of, of what we are. So that was my only thing, and I don't want to go off on a Do you feel like that. that's how I went about like no but it, it could have been it, i didn't go either way with it so exactly is what you're saying well yeah. I'll, I'll have to keep that in mind i'm trying i'm trying to make my film short vanessa thanks <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't help <laughs> but that's just that was i you know i really enjoyed it um i do wish that that the particular bad incident that happened I do wish that that footage would have been shown, but I also understand based on my previous experiences and previous which, which are you talking about? The, the screaming, the, Oh, there was no yes. video. There was no oh, video. Available. Yeah, okay. That was all audio from, was it their previous investigation of it? Was that? Yeah. What it was? Um, okay. uh, uh, um, a gal named Deb Schneider from uh, mm-hmm. Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, had done an investigation at the Monroe house and she had an experience that they happened to have an audio recorder recording at the time. And she, you know, she was skeptical. She was like, I don't know if this is a possession. It didn't feel like possession. It felt like I was being jumped or something along that line. I want you, you know, she was giving it to other people to see if it was peer reviewable. And I felt like people have experiences and I felt like it was raw enough and uh, honest enough and sincere enough to present it in the documentary because uh-huh. when I listened to it, it didn't feel fake. It didn't. F- it felt authentic, and it felt like she truly believed something was happening to her. And well, I, she I put it in there. She was chosen for a reason. She was chosen to have that attack on her for a reason, and so that's what the most important thing is, and only she knows that reason. Um, so it felt very authentic to me. It would have, and knowing now you didn't have video, that makes a lot more sense. But I'm like, man, you know, it, it's not that I needed to see it for for any type of immediate gratification. But having been through it myself, and having watched my best friend go through it, and me being the one to pull her out of it, I know how important it is to share those experiences so that people can see what actually happens and realize this is not ghost adventures. This is, this isn't GA. This isn't Hollywood. (laughs) It's not pretty. It sucks sometimes. 
Mike, should we give any context about what we're talking about? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Okay. I felt like we, we need to. Yeah. It just felt like an inside thing. So to get them to watch it. Okay. Well, well this is why you need a little context. It. Yes. So um, Deb Schneider agreed to be a part of this film. I interviewed her about her experience and her investigation at the Monroe house, which is the third act of the documentary. She had an experience there that on the surface would, you would probably say, Oh, it looks like a possession. But we don't present it like that. Um, I definitely don't want to leave that in people's minds or even uh, hint that it was. I told her I felt like she was reliving someone's attack, a woman's attack from someone. Uh That's what it it absolutely sounded to me. And there's definitely evidence and claims of women being abused documented in that location amongst pick and choose all the horrible things that happened at this place that have been documented and are true. So – if you watch that third act and you listen to that, I don't know what it's two or three minutes. Um, and it's, and I provide B roll over. It's almost like a Hitchcockian moment where you don't see what's happening. You're only hearing it and you're seeing B roll of the location. There's some creepy B roll that goes along with it. Yeah. And and there's a little bit of sound design, but I try to keep it raw. I try to make it the, the main part of that segment. And when I first listened to it, it disturbed me. Yeah. <laughs> and I want people to understand that this can happen to you, especially at the Monroe house. If you're a woman, if you're an empath, if you have abilities, if you're opening yourself up to these type of things, that could be you. And that's what I was trying to do in the film, but I wanted to try to paint or shed uh, or, or make Deb seem like she wasn't someone who was trying to dabble into things she shouldn't have. I just like during the interview, I kind of made it look like we either consciously or subconsciously go out for the looking for these experiences to learn from them, whether it be something you disagree with or not. We ultimately want to learn through these experiences. And like you said, it happened to her for a reason. I do believe that these things do happen for reasons. And it did, you know, provide her with you know some information she probably used in her life to do other things exactly you did you didn't miss you didn't portray her wrong it did not come off wrong it didn't come off as sensationalized it didn't come off as being possessed or something demonic it it didn't do any of those things it was very well done so i mean hats off i'm glad to hear that yeah because i would have told you well, that's what, you know, I, when I knew I was going to do this show, I'm like, she's going to have something to say, and I hope it's mostly good. <laughs> she usually does. But I did want to ask you about, um, you know, some of these artifacts that were found there. So um, like this small sack with a necklace and human hair, there were some shorts mm-hmm. with blood that were found. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, these are unusual things to, to find uh you know at at somebody's house like that so what in your research and in your investigations were you able to determine about these artifacts well uh pretty much all the research was done by the owner of the monroe house's uh sister-in-law eddie norris owns it and his wife pam's sister pretty much found all the documentation that he was able to connect with a serial killer to have a connection to the house Mm -hmm. so 
what he believes is either associated with a documented serial killer that's in prison right now that's involved with 40 known deaths or murders, maybe possibly more. Um, he told me not to give any names. Right. And he felt like they, if not belonging, like, you know, trophies of a serial killer, what are they? Could be ritualistic. Maybe Vanessa would have some feedback on those things. I feel like uh, it's definitely odd that those were kept in the crawl space in that fashion that he said that he found them. They were like wrapped up and like kept there. It wasn't just like something random buried in the dirt in the basement. Um, if they were used for ritualistic purposes, they would be used for a hexing or a cursing. I mean, it, but the thing is that it, it, for a hex or a curse, it takes continuous energy to go into something like that. So if there is no longer anybody putting that energy into it, there is no longer a hex or a curse. And that's a lot of people really misconstrue that. They think, oh, you're cursed once and bada bing. Doesn't work that way. It's interesting um, that you say that. I got a question based yeah. on that statement. The fact that he's presenting this stuff and kind of creating a model or a story, what he believes these things are connected to, and people go there thinking and believing that these things are true, is that enough energy to keep refueling? Not necessarily because they would have to know who the subject was. Okay. Yes, they would have to know who the subject was. Um, uh, that is that is another misconception um, just by the masses. You have to have a name or a picture or something that ties that particular hex or curse to an individual. Okay. Um, what about hair or blood? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, because, I mean, blood, let's face it, I mean, entire family lines can, they, they, they share the same blood. So if what, I mean, mean the blood on the shorts, that's what I was talking about. Uh, the blood on the shorts, um, you mean for a hexing or a curse? Well, you were talking about yeah. having a photo or having something. It's more being able to see the person's face. It really is. It, it's knowing knowing exactly who you're trying to hex or curse. So there has to be some kind of focus. There really okay. does. There really does. Um, I'm leaning more towards a serial killer, but that leads into an additional question. If there is a possibility that even though this person is in prison, even though that's a possibility has have has this evidence been presented to the police so that they can do any type of dna testing to see if they were tied to that serial killer and if this is maybe a victim that they were not aware of and so that maybe they can give a family closure what i was told and this involves many things even the remains found in the basement and all mm -hmm. these other things that the law enforcement has already uh incarcerated this person after they found it so they would have to reopen the investigation and then indict him again and he's already in prison for life like 40 life terms and i think they said that they just didn't want to deal with the paperwork and they already got him so i think that they didn't see like it was connected to a victim like a particular victim you know what I'm saying? I think for what he said off camera was those shorts weren't connected to a particular victim they were trying to find the murderer for. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have an ex-husband in law enforcement, and that is not accurate. Well, uh, the, yeah. the people in that town, <laughs> you need to go there to kind of understand. Mike can kind of <laughs> shed some light on small town Indiana law enforcement if you want. <laughs> um, wow. 
Yeah, yeah, it's um, interesting to say the least. <laughs> they, yeah, they didn't. They they looked into the crawl space, looked at the bones for a couple minutes, said, "Looks like animal bones," and they left. Yeah, that's usually the way it works. It all it usually is. Oh, it's just an animal bone, and there you go. Um, you might they they might bag it and take it away and say they're going to test it, but it, it rarely ever does. So. Right. Wow. They just well, I mean, really small town like that. They don't have the resources to you know, no, do all the testing and all that. No, that's why you send it to so. the FBI and they have a missing person's They're database. They're not gonna do that. Yeah, I wish they would because you know yeah. it would give us the information that we're wanting. We want the information to tell the story about the things. Yeah, and, and, but and that's so the reason why they're not going to bring in the FBI is everybody gets butt hurt over jurisdiction. They don't want the Phoebes down there in their territory. That is really fucked up. Sorry, yeah. because that would give a family closure. But that, from what he said, trump everything else. It wasn't connected. There wasn't any people that they could connect to it. That's why he has said that. I'm going to shut up now. So if they would have done like analysis on the blood, for example, they wouldn't have found it to connect it with a victim and the hair, for example, that they're aware of. <laughs> but if they would have handed it over to the FBI to put in their system, they may have. Exactly like right. And a family would have closure. Fuck being able to prosecute the guy again. Who gives a dick about that? Wow. Okay. I'm done. That's I'm just a little <laughs> bit in shock right now. I'm a little bit in shock. I'm a little bit stressed about that. So I'm just going to chill. That's all good. Yeah. But speaking of law enforcement, you also did investigate the old jail there, which um, I've had the, I, I've been in there twice, actually slept overnight uh, in one of the cells one time. It's a really interesting location. I actually love the basement area, the little kind of quote unquote dungeon area. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, tell me about your experiences there. It's very interesting. Um, it, it, those type of uh, jails have almost like a, uh, the front of it is living quarters. There's bedrooms. There's a kitchen. The back then, the uh, warden or the sheriff had to live at the facility in order. It was it was actually law back then, so you had complete control of that jail of all times. So wow. you, they had families living in there with them, wife, kids. They would have like political figures come by there was a guest room really nice guest room i think dan actually sleeps in the political guest room which is in the top right window up there that actually has a bathroom and uh, my mother even picked up that people of high status politically stayed there in that room wow. and they they live there and when you go there there's psychics that pick up on children and families there there's people that like hear kids and pick up you know so maybe supporting evidence that you know there are energies there that involve children so there's that on the back part of it there's a uh what is it mike one two three four five six seven cells um, the very back right one was used for a shower, yeah. but, uh, that turnstile you see there, Dan said that he thinks that's, that's one of seven left in a, the U S I know the other one that's bigger in the West Virginia penitentiary. That's the, uh, another one that I know about, but I don't know the other five, but I don't know if they're, if that information is true or not. So if anybody has any information of how many turnstiles are left, I would love to know. And I but, love that turnstile. I would have that in the house. <laughs> oh, it's definitely very crazy. cool. Yeah. I'm not it lying. Cool. It's awesome. But the walls are made out of like two foot granite. I mean, this thing is a 
is like freaking sturdy. Yeah, I'll tell you that. it was pretty much impenetrable. And he uh, he talks about how the only way anybody was ever able to escape is because of the ventilation that they ended up putting in after the fact. That yeah, the that, original that plan. Great. Yeah, yeah, the great that that goes down. Um, yeah, the original plans. It was basically impenetrable because you're not getting through that granite. No. Nope. If Shawshank is not going to apply. Yeah. <laughs> Shawshank <laughs> or Scale from Alcatraz or whatever. Yeah. Right. I love it, the reference to that. It's really cool because um, there's not very many of these jails left and Dan keeps um, gets to keep this, you know, you know, people in the paranormal community um, are is pretty much financing him to keep this. I know he's well off, but I'm sure that it would be a lot worse looking if, the paranormal community wasn't helping him finance the upkeep of this place. And it is still very nice. It Sometimes yeah. he does have cats in there and it's a, it's a job to keep the cats cleaned up after because sometimes you go on vacations, but other than that, it's a very nice location that I urge anybody to go check out. But to kind of wrap a bow around that question, Mike, it's multifaceted like jails can be, but there's mm-hmm. an element to it that you wouldn't get like if you're at a prison you know, because it's got that lived in feel on the front of it. And there, you might, you know, have experiences that don't seem very jail or prison like there. That that explains a lot because when I was watching it, it it was very bizarre because I I had the image of a man that was in one of those jail cells that looked like he should be running a bank (laughs) instead of being in the jail cell he actually considered himself above everybody else that was in there and and he had that mannerism about him as well but he but inside him was inherently evil okay so i have a lot of i have a lot of documentation of people that were incarcerated there maybe Mm -hmm. i can he sits with his legs crossed and his his hand like this with a cigarette in it well john was it john dillinger was believed to be incarcerated there oh i don't know i'm asking mike because (laughs) I, i yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I believe he was he was kept there for a short period of time. Is well, ah, his, well, you know, the story go. as the story goes. So, mm-hmm. so that's if part that's of the him. lore. Yeah. yeah, if that's him, but yeah, very uppity. Everybody there, else was a criminal. He he just got caught. Yeah, there there definitely <laughs> could have been somebody that would fit that description being incarcerated there. But there there was three sheriffs that passed away in the jail and the living quarters area. I think it's um that bottom room where uh he has his desk and computer is the place where the bedroom the sheriff actually slept um there was uh a couple killings in the jail area itself there's a story associated with that but we'll save that for the documentary when you watch it right (laughs) (laughs) um hopefully you watch it oh i'll probably end up it'll probably flop and then i'll just make it public on youtube and cry a little bit but i just want people to watch it yeah, it's, it's a great do- it's a great documentary. Uh, you got a lot of uh, great information in there. The interviews are really well done. Um, you have wonderful locations like this, and you know one of the things I love about this jail is the the basement dungeon area. Mm-hmm. And um, you know I I don't know how much I mean you see some snippets um, in the documentary. I don't know how much overall you got to investigate. There's a lot there. of it that didn't make it in, Mike. Right, um, right. We definitely had. Uh, our, our main piece of really cool evidence was involving the people. We didn't have video consent signed. Ah, okay. Gotcha. So that didn't make it. We, um, me and Josh and a former member was down there. We had a little bit of experiences, but I was just trying to, you know, 
I, I had a story and I had to, you know, split it up in acts. I had all this content right. and I tried to, you know, only get the really bizarre thing that didn't involve the former members in there. It's gotcha. tough, isn't it? I don't yeah. think people understand how difficult it is putting one of these together. Bless Gwen for doing most of ours. So yeah, it's my it, hats it, off to you. It's um, an acquired thing. <laughs> That's a very PC way to put it. Justin. So yeah, <laughs> it sucks, Vanessa. It does. <laughs> so before we get into a couple of the other locations, we do have some questions here from uh, the chat room. So uh, Judy Wilson was wondering what makes Hartford City so haunted. That's one of the the best questions you can ask about it. Um, in my opinion, I think I, I speak about in the um, intro of the documentary. You, paranormal investigators try to create a model of what a recipe for hauntings are. And it is my opinion that the whole town is a recipe for a haunting. And here's the things that I believe that are recipes for it. You take a place that hasn't really changed over a long period of time since it's, you know, conception to now you start, you're starting to see some old buildings get tore down now, but it took a long time, but some of the main historical buildings are still there and kept unchanged. Um, it's a small rural town. So the economy there is not good in that area. So you have disparaged economy. Um, you have a lot of people since the economy's bad that, you know, the living, you know, just the overall neighborhood can be run down and the income's low. So that breeds a lot of psychokinetic fuel that we believe that can, you know, create poltergeist. It can create all these paranormal phenomena to occur. Um, you have the historical structures, like I said, and you have the proximity of these locations that might be harboring hauntings that we hope we found supporting evidence of really close to each other. So the smaller the location is, I guess the more concentrated ground zero can be. So Hartford city, what do you think, Mike, maybe like 5,000 people live there. Yeah. It's a small town. Yeah. Like five grand, like that's small. Yeah. So you, ha and it's isolated. It's very rural. The land is very flat. So what I've experienced in my life is when you have a very flat, very rural area, energy, is not it can it can do what it wants to and not be influenced or impeded or mitigated by the land and how it flows and that's just my feeling i didn't read um, that anywhere i just get that also when you're talking about rural areas like that and bad economy and everything else um, and you wouldn't think this is is the case but it is you also have higher levels of, of substance abuse and alcohol that, that's what i'm alluding to you know yes. you, with that comes with that <laughs> comes all these things that we think you know are recipes for hauntings you know like suicides drug abuse incarceration spousal abuse domestic abuse everything everything like that so I, i'm trying to paint a picture of a psychokinetic ground zero and uh, that is Hartford City. And that's kind of like the model I try to, you know, construct well, in the film. Let's go ahead and just address another elephant in the room that nobody ever talks about. But you have a higher level of promiscuity amongst younger, uh, younger people. And you're more apt to have higher levels, higher levels of poltergeist activity around young girls, especially when they start their cycles. 
And if you go to a small town like that and there's nothing else to do, guess what you're doing? That's why I feel like it's so concentrated in those Uh places. And it's, you know, and and I think the geography, I really want to, you know, emphasize on that. The geography is very important with the geomagnetics, the the way the terrain is laid out, um, how much limestone, how much of this mineral, how much of this, all that. I mean, I would love to do more research into that. I just don't have the time or resources or the money to do that. But I feel like there's something there that we could definitely learn more about if we could you know do that agreed yeah and there's also you know the stories of different mob connections uh throughout hartford city back in the day so you think that kind of plays into it as well Uh, yeah the the history does play into it but not everything in history creates hauntings well sure we we would be in trouble right so i feel like but there's an energy that yes i feel like the psychokinetics okay the pk if you don't know what that is it's cool go read about it but the retelling and the the fuel that we give these stories through the tours and the investigations and when you come through they have to have something going on you know it looks historic when you go through the courthouse looks cool you know the, the overall feel it gives you a, like a historic feel so if you live there history is pretty much only thing that's positive about the place so you get these stories and you get these retelling of the stories and you get these things you know i feel has something to do with you know actually fueling the hauntings like maybe what mike was alluding to like the history of um john dillinger at the old blackford county jail the monroe house and all the history associated with that i mean we're we're creating a paranormal soup of wonderful spontaneous things to occur that we barely understand and that's why people flock there to try to understand it yeah absolutely and you uh you investigated the speakeasy there so which doesn't it doesn't feature uh very prominently in the documentary but um i think it's a uh a pretty cool location kind of speaks again to you know the history of the location so what what happened in your experiences there because it doesn't sound like a whole heck of a lot did not a not a lot and i wish that i could have found at least 10 minutes to add some footage from there, but just not, I didn't feel like what we had from that location stood up to all the other things. So it it just got the chopping block, but I did mention it and I did say it wasn't the most active. Maybe if you go there, it'll be more active. You get it as a bonus location. If you investigate the jail, Dan allows you to go over there and investigate it. So that's, that's something that you don't have to worry about investing something and nothing happens. Yeah, it, it, it's house. an interesting it, it's an interesting little <laughs> no, you place. Don't. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, I do. Because um, you know it is kind of hit or miss there. You know, we spent you know several hours in the speakeasy. We did the jail, did the speakeasy, jail again. I don't want to see you body slam the owner at all. Oh, because I think that's what what she would do. Right. Me. Yes. Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I love Eddie. Um, you talk to the guy, super nice, probably too nice. Um, very, he claims to be scientific and skeptical, but he can't because the Monroe house and he doesn't understand it from a metaphysical empathic point of view. 
and there is might be an issue with that with you and him. I don't know if he can understand it or will allow himself to because it's very troubling to him. It's like, whoa, that's too much. So he, it's there. And it's, and you know, he did say in the film that he wanted to turn the Monroe house into a museum and build a catacombs. Yeah. See, see, see what I'm saying? So <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Okay. That, that whole scenario is crazy. And there's a whole bunch of things that aren't said in the documentary that, you know, I did release a film called a haunting on Monroe street that anybody can watch on my YouTube channel. And it features my, what I did, was I'm like, hey, mom, like I was estranged from my mother for 10 years. And then we got back together the last three years. But um, in 2018, I'm like, hey, mom, I'm doing these documentaries of these paranormal investigations. Me and my mom's been dealing with this our whole lives. She is who she is. So I'm like, I'm going to see if I take my mom up there, not telling her I'm taking her up there beforehand, not telling her where we're going, not telling her jack shit and see what happens. And that film is pretty much her uh, what she picks up on and what happened on the YouTube channel. And you see bits of that in the film and the documentary that we go back to, but there was uh, several things that happened during that initial investigation that I allow her to go through that still disturb me. And I feel like no matter what you do, what things you try to correct, what things you try to cleanse, what things you try to realign and readjust and fix Mm-hmm. That there's something so against that occurring, it may overpower. Like it would have to be a war. We'd have to wage war against the forces that are keeping that location the way it is. And I think that it might be too exhausting for most people to do. Okay, let's two seconds to touch on that. I wouldn't go in there with the intention to cleanse or change or even understand as long as that house is not going to be inhabited by a family or anybody else as a regular lodging as a regular Mm. home it can stay exactly as it is and i think that that's where i think that's where people get crossed is they think that when they come upon a place like that they've got to fix it no you don't have to fix it you have to document it well, there was something that um, was brought to my attention when we were first there with my mom and my paranormal group. Um, it's in the it's in the video, the first video. So I'll just say it. She said that there was not only children, but people of all ages being collected in the basement mm-hmm. by an entity. Mm-hmm. And I cannot just let that go. Like I have to at least do something to sleep at night, whether it makes, does any good or matters. Um, I don't know if me just saying that to justify not doing something would make me not do it. But I feel like there's, there are going to be certain people like I did would feel inclined to want to do something because there's always people commenting. There's always people saying, oh, you go in these locations, these horrible things that are happening to these spirits. Why don't you do something or try to do something? Because they don't know Dick. And if, and I can say that with great authority because I've been in that situation. I've actually stood inside a people barn with a fucking mm-hmm. demon on spread eagle on the top of the barn and that's exactly what they was doing gwen's in the chat right now she can confirm this i don't give a shit how 
much I've got my stuff together, how powerful I am, what spells I can do, how psychic or empathic I am. I am no match for what is holding those spirits there. And I know that. So my job and Gwen's job when we were in that situation was to keep anybody else from going to it, trying to block the family from going to it. Sometimes that's all you can do. Even other investigators? Yes. So you think we should do that at the Monroe house? No, no, no. This was this specific place. I'm not convinced the Monroe house has demonic activity. I'm convinced. Okay. Well, I I felt that there was something I could do in that situation. Me and my mother both felt like, you know, and this is based on, there's based on belief. There's no proof that we did or did not, or that was occurring. This is just all based on belief. So we can say whatever we want about it mm-hmm. and that's it. So I, I, I felt like that place being kept the way it is and just sitting back with the camera, like I cannot do that. Even if, even if it's David and Goliath, I'd, I'm the type of person that's just going to go up there and get my ass kicked. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see if I'm going to get my ass kicked. You can do that, but can you, but <laughs> when it doesn't, people yeah, can do that. We've all done that, but when it comes right down to it, are you going to keep going to get your ass kicked? It's a good question. Um, that that place is almost like a. It's almost like if you punch one of of those little moles down, the whole three of them pop up. Yeah. So I I wasn't really thinking about that at the time. I just felt like this is unjustified. If I can do something, I will. I was just, you know, being, it was like a, in the most sympathetic, empathic thing to do at the time, but stepping outside of it, not doing, you know, not attaching your emotions and feelings to it. Yes. You can look at it and say, well, it's really, you know, futile. So it, it just depends. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you have, it, it's, it's not an exercise in futility to want to do something. It isn't. Okay. Well, want to do it all day long. But it's sometimes it's just it doesn't always work in that favor. All right. Well, we do have some questions coming in from the chat specifically yeah, about the Monroe. Yeah, so. yeah, specifically about the Monroe House because you kind of threw it out there. So Judy Wilson and uh, even some others down there asking, you know, is there a demonic spirit there? And if so, why do you think so? If you want there to be something, can present itself to be. Is there? is the most interesting question is there demonic forces is there a devil can external evil forces exist and can it affect us and this is my view on that anything that we believe think anything religious anything theological can exist in a certain way okay can it affect us in a physical way, in an emotional way, in a psychological way? Yes. But to say it objectively exists like we can see Mike and Vanessa and Justin on the screen, it's it doesn't work like that in my thinking, in my belief. And there's many beliefs out there. So if you want to go to the Monroe house and perceive that as demonic, you definitely could. But the way I view it, things are very psychokinetic and morphic. And the way witchcraft, magic, and occultism works is you are manipulating and manifesting your intention and your will. And in that place, it's amplified. 
for whatever reason, we can speculate all day long. So if you want to go in there and believe that Satan's there ready to get you, by all means, that's what you're going to get. But objectively, I don't believe so. I believe that it's like a hollow deck on the Star Trek Enterprise. For the that's what you make of it. Yes. Okay. Is the house that's standing there right now the, the original structure or has it been no. altered at all? It, not- um, the original structure got burnt down. We're not entirely sure if portion of it was salvaged and built onto it, it it probably was completely rebuilt and then there was another fire it's been added onto as a duplex and even more add-ons to it it's like it's a whole mess vanessa it's like a you know you a Rubik's- the original blueprints can you get the original blueprints no. to lay out of the house because that's where your answer lies no no that that is not uh, available so tom mcnicholas is wondering uh how do the neighbors feel about the house any idea? <laughs> um, I did not canvas the neighborhood. Um, I didn't have time. It would have been interest interesting to do that. You always see neighborhood kids running around trying to look in. That's why he's covered all the windows so you can't. Right. Um, he, he's got surveillance cameras up. He tries to stop people from doing that. I'm pretty sure that the whole freaking town has more problems to deal with than the Monroe house. But when you start investing into the Monroe house, then I think then then it, you could ask that question. What do you think about it? Because you could just drive by it, maybe even live by it and not nothing would happen. And uh, as far as I can see, all the grass is growing. The people are living normal lives. So I think it would be hard to determine if they were actually whether they believe it or not being affected by it. But that is a good question. Uh, I think it would be valuable to canvas the neighborhood to see what they would actually say. It would definitely be interesting, you know, in, in a couple of different ways, not only from, you know, the activity that's going on at the house, but also because of the attention that it's gotten is probably, mm-hmm. you know, changed the dynamics of the neighborhood. Absolutely. Like, you know, it's kind of like an eyesore in a way. He do, mm-hmm. you know, It doesn't look beautiful sitting there. Yeah. Uh, WOA is wondering, so the entity collecting the soul seems to me spirits can still be manipulated psychologically. So there's, there's a question there. Energy can be whether you believe those are actual souls is a is debatable i think that i think vanessa can you help me i would love to what do you need love so when it comes to soul collecting entities can you kind of help me explain in your words because how i would explain it is i don't view souls as other people would view souls in this sense Okay, so basically, when you're talking about a soul collector, in the situation that you're talking about or what Gwen and I dealt with in Virginia, it is a collection of innocence, and that is the best way that I can describe it is when you're talking about the energy that somebody's innocence gives off, that everything that makes them human and and loving and kind, something negative feeds off of that they have to have that and when you have a soul collector that is what they do they hold on to that energy and they feed off of it and they don't let it go that is the best most layman right. firm way i can explain and that. to There's add no to that words. right and to add to that sensitive psychics and even the lay person can go in there and see something and perceive something that absolutely looks like a soul a, a, a discarnate discarnate being uh-huh. of a deceased person which in fact it's not exactly in our view the way we view it uh-huh. and then i think i think 
most people in the paranormal field that are looking at metaphysics like this and parapsychology like this is on the same table with they're not entirely sure what we're experiencing is actually what we think it is. It's way more crazy. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. And the more that you get involved with it and the more that you delve into your own psyche and figure out why you see the the things in the matrix. (laughs) Or in the matrix. um, The more descriptive and clearer the picture becomes. And that's when it really gets fucked up. So, good luck. (laughs) Nice. So... Justin, Kathy Salento is wondering, while working in this field, have you ever encountered anything that changed you in any way? Absolutely, but it was way before I was uh, playing Ghost Hunter. Yeah, um, I got a story. I'll try to be quick. I know it's an only an hour show. Uh, my mom and dad bought a house in Southern Ohio in Hillsboro from a, fire, a local fire, firefighter. He uh, sold it to us, moved out to a farm outside of town. We lived in that house for a year. After that year, um, coincidentally, he discovered, based on what I know, I'm not saying this absolutely happened, but he did kill himself. And I, what I heard was he found out his wife was cheating on him. So strangely enough, when this happened, when he committed suicide, strange things start happening at the house that he brought his family up in. And uh, we started hearing the footsteps going up and down the steps is the first thing my dad started experiencing. He thought it was me and my brother not being in bed at night. So he kept hearing it, kept screaming at us. My mom's like, it's not them. And eventually she discovered that it, she believed that it was the man who killed himself. Hmm. Dad said it was bull crap. He went up there to try to catch us. Of course, we're sound asleep in her bed. No explanation for it. So to, to consolidate, this 10 year period that I'm going to lead up to things would happen mildly at what you would experience in haunting strange sensations of being watched invisible presences in the room, creepy vibes, footsteps, weird noises, some evidence of psychokinetic manifestations like light anomalies, shadow, you know, that kind of stuff. But fast forward 10 years, I have a son. Now my mom and dad's divorced. The house is more dilapidated. Activity has become higher and it's just me my dad and my kid my two year and a half year old kid in the house living but one day me and my son are upstairs in the bedroom and this was years we haven't mentioned the firefighter's name in 10 years five years i don't know just years and he's just now starting to talk in sentences so i sitting there talk to him he's like oh um i was playing with a man named john the other day or something like to that effect and I'm like, uh, John, you talking about my dad, your grandpa, John, because his name's coincidentally John. And he looks at me in my eyes. He says, no, John R. He's dead. Like it was a normal thing to say. And it just so happened that the firefighter's name is John R. And he, in fact, is dead. So that was when I changed mm-hmm. and couple that with my dad heart exploding out of his mouth at the age of 54 in 2011. Those two events changed me, taught me about what I am afraid of, what truly matters. And there is life after death in some way that we can perceive it and such, whether it is or not, I'm not certain, but our human consciousness can definitely perceive it like that. So I knew something was going on 
and I want to figure it out if I can. And there you have it, folks. All right. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I was just sorry. I was kind of uh, taken aback by the way you described your father. So I was too. Yeah. So I was just, yeah. It's very hard to to kind of deliver it in a way that I feel like it's, I don't know, what's the right way? He he died. Was, he had a heart attack at work, and it was fucking horrible to see that and experience that. And the only way I know is to do it in a dry manner without, you know, going back there. So I apologize. No, 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 no. That's, no, that's, that's not what we're saying. Don't apologize. Okay. <laughs> just taking it, just... Just soaking that up. Not to mention, your story is very similar to mine. My That's son interesting. Was, my son was the exact same way. Mm -hmm. and he was uh, at two years old talking about siblings he didn't know he had that I had lost. Mm -hmm. And that's what pulled me out of the broom closet. And I had been locked in there for almost 20 years. <laughs> I'm not going back to that broom closet. <laughs> no, no. So... So, well, before we, because uh, we're down to the last few minutes of the show, so uh, before we get to wrapping it up, there there was another location that you did investigate, uh, the bar there. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, it was Griffin. What was it, Griffin's? It, it's just been purchased. I forget that. I never remember the guy's name, okay. but he's renamed it Griffin's Blind Tiger. It was okay. Centerfield Bar. Had a lot of names, layered history, but bar old bars are interesting. Mm -hmm. They're oh, like cesspools of energy. It's like a mini recipe of a haunting inside of a bigger recipe. You know, it's just like, it's crazy. Bars are crazy. So you definitely should go check it out. Um, it is available for investigations. You probably want to get a hold of not, if not, if you can't get a hold of the owner, there is a Facebook page called the Griffin's Blind Tiger that Brandy Reader helps manage. You probably should be able to get in there. Last time I checked, if you're in that area, it's definitely active. And, uh, one of my cameramen definitely had an awakening of what the hell is going on there. It he's, he, he got a taste of mom is what happened. <laughs> and I would be interested to know what Vanessa thinks of my mother. That that's the one thing I wanted to get some feedback of because she's an enigma. <laughs> no, I would enjoy meeting her. I think she and I would have a blast at a location. I would actually love to have, me on one side of a place and her completely on the other one and compare notes right you're, you're going to see sides of me that i don't always put out there uh -huh. i believe everybody has psychic ability i think everybody should um to some degree or another to, yeah i think everybody should try to open themselves up to the possibility and see what happens you would you may be surprised of going down that road but you, you'll definitely see some you know not science justin in the film if that it's an that's incentive. okay that's balance it is okay it is that's and, balance um, it's it's interesting to see mother and son as a duo too that's a whole other that's an interesting dynamic yeah yeah so robert hander robert hannah was wondering if the hauntings around hartford city are more residual in nature <sighs> just whatever you can think possibly imagine it's i mean how do I explain this? Um, I just think that everywhere you go has the potential of residual phenomena being there, uh, interactive or intelligent entities or consciousnesses being there 
everywhere all around you saturated throughout space and time what's interesting about the paranormal is why it seems emergent in a way that's unpredictable to most people some people like vanessa even my mom they have to hide in the mountains and put a bubble around them to escape it and even then it don't work as hard as they may try so (laughs) it's it's not that where it is and how often it is it's everywhere but why is it only there at moments for some more for others and all the time for few those are that's the question i want you to take away from this show that's a good question that's a good yeah definitely i think it's based on fear there's no one answer that's going to answer it i think it's based on fear and on the fact that i mean let's face it sometimes you have other things on your mind and you don't see what's right in front of you or you my mom or you want to see it so bad you can't see it at all we talk about um analogies that involve tuning the television or the radio there's many vibrational frequencies there's things operating on different vibrations and our consciousness is can be used as a tuning knob Uh so you know, everybody knows that our brain waves go through a phase of change while we're awake, while we're asleep, and who knows. So you take that and you try to apply it to our perception of paranormal things. Are we perceiving things? Is the correlation of our perception and um, experiences to do with how our minds and senses go through different changes of frequency of vibration that's something i really want to do research yeah we've talked the money. we've talked before about people each person individually vibrating mm-hmm. at different levels and depending on how the activity is vibrating how you may be able to tune into it or perceive it or what have you so mm-hmm. that makes it's sense. complex it yeah. feels like it's not like individual stations you know like there's bandwidth like fm you Mm -hmm. might hear 101.9 on a few stations before and after but not as clear Mm -hmm. so i feel like there's other dimensions and realities that we may perceive as ghosts or the paranormal realm that has a bandwidth so we're on a station but there's a bandwidth so you can tune to a spectrum of the bandwidth and there might be other things there you know what i'm saying so that's the analogy so maybe the the more in tune we get, the bigger our antenna. Sure. That works. <laughs> Some people but, are born with the kick-ass antenna. Some people have to make their own. I don't know. Well, I mean, I was born with a kick-ass antenna, but the older I get, the stronger it gets. Yeah, I feel like the older you are, um, I feel that, you know, you see your kids born, babies, you know, becoming a man growing old in front of you as you're growing old and seeing everybody else going through that and keep augmenting your own empathy and your own consciousness through the lens of that. If you get dumber through that, there's something broke. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there is. And there's a lot of broken people. (laughs) I'm not trying to say anything bad about anybody, but it's just true. Totally get it. So, yeah, you should grow a little wiser as you age. Yeah, I mean, the goal is to learn. (laughs) Well, and it's not just about learning and growing wiser. You should become more open with age, not more staunch and strict. Uh, That kind of depends on the person. Some people really get set in their ways. 
they yeah but that's that i mean that's stagnant um with wisdom and experience comes better understanding and if people would stop denying that better understanding if they well, would start to open up that process yes they would find that that, that all this stuff is really there then since well, they were like if you do you talk to people in hospice or people that, you know, someone has passed away or had some idea that their end was near, you will see a change, oh, especially yeah. hospice oh, people sure. and medical professionals. My dad, a year or two before he died, he started telling me about, you know, the haunting in the house. We, you know, he brought us up in the things he saw. He was an avid hunter. He loved killing shit. And then that last year or two, he said, I can't do it. I just want to see him eat. So yeah. there's a change you know, sometimes it's too late. If there's always a change. Like I debate whether there's never a change because like right when you, if your brain knows you're going to die, I bet you it's going to change. And that whole NDE experience of the live flashing and the self-evaluation, yeah. I believe it's there. Oh yeah. All right. And on that, we are at our hour mark. Justin, where can everybody find? Well, where can they find a documentary? Where can they find your channel? All that great stuff interfacedeath.net or .com. It gives you all the social media accounts, gives you the YouTube channel, gives you access to the documentary. If you subscribe to the mailing list, you will never miss an update for anything. Facebook and Twitter is a good source of updates and information. YouTube has over 500 videos of the last seven years of my research. Um, Interface Death, Paranormal Research on YouTube. That's the the channel and interface death live is where we broadcast our live content. We do shows like Mike does and I blab my mouth all over the internet, <laughs> you know, and I just, I, I feel like, you know, I get to meet people and, you know, talk about things and see other, you know, learn from others and interact. So, yep. That's where you get the documentary. It's where you find all the stuff. Awesome. Yeah. I did Thank put you the, guys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You're welcome. I did put the link for the channel down in the description. Quarantine Ghost has been putting the links for uh, everything else, including uh, the website in the chat. So be sure to check all of that out. Justin, my friend, thank you for uh, coming back on the show. It's always a great time having you here. And uh, you're, you know, very intelligent guy. And I always appreciate, like, you know, when you ask questions on our show, when you're there in the chat room, I always appreciate the, the questions from you because they're always uh, very well thought out. So thanks for coming back. I appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks for having the show. I think it's great. Yeah, absolutely. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> Remember witchcraft, honey. Okay. Witchcraft is not bad. No. <laughs> All right. You take care. Thanks. Bye, bud. I need a moment of